Sometimes people question in their minds, what am I here for? Or what am I doing? Or what's the point of my life? And I can certainly understand that struggle. I can remember as a young man thinking, okay, what am I going to do with my life? You know, uh, am I going to be, I'm, at one point I was going to be a vet. This was after my dream of playing professional football died. Uh, and so I said, okay, I'm going to be a vet. And then I looked at that and I'm like, no, nah, it's like six or eight years worth of school. I'm not going to do that. And so I looked and it's like, oh, computer programming is a, a hot job at the time. And so I, I got my computer science degree and did that for about, oh, 15 to 18 years or so. But then the Lord called me into ministry. And so here we are. But just not knowing what my purpose was. For the Christian, God has given us a purpose. And he's given us a directive. And he's given us purpose. And here at Faith Baptist Church, we like to we like to say this. We're, we are following Jesus together. We're following Jesus together. God doesn't like Lone Ranger Christians. He's given us one another to follow his son, Jesus, our king. And so today I want us to look at the church's directive, the church's directive found in Matthew 28. Verses 18 through 20, because it's here that Jesus gives his disciples direction, purpose, priorities. And he does so in the context that they're going to go out and they're going to plant churches. And so we have the church's directive and by uh, derivative, we have your directive as an individual Christian as well. So following Jesus together, let's look at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. We read there, this is after the resurrection. Jesus has died for the sins of the world. He's been buried. He's been resurrected. He's been meeting with his disciples. But now it's time for King Jesus to ascend to his heavenly throne. And he leaves this instruction to his disciples. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven And on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Here we have what's called the Great Commission or the church's directive. Make disciples is the command. If you look at verse 19, we see there it says, uh, go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples is the command. We do this in three different ways. Okay, so the command is to make disciples. And then there are three uh, prepositions, I think. My daughter is an English major. She'll chastise me afterwards if I'm wrong on this. But there are three prepositions. Go, baptize, and teach. Okay, so that's how we make disciples. We go, we baptize, and we teach. And so what I like to say here at Faith Baptist Church is that this gives us three directives. Being a Baptist, I need to alliterate to be able to remember anything. And so we're going to give the gospel, we're going to guard the gospel, and then we're going to grow Christians. Give the gospel guard the gospel, and grow Christians. 
Okay, I don't have any overhead for this morning, but those are your three main points. Give the gospel, guard the gospel, and grow Christians. Priorities in life should fall into these three things. The command is to make disciples, and we do that with these three things. Giving the gospel, guarding the gospel, and growing Christians. Faith Baptist Church exists to glorify God by actively doing the following three things. First of all, giving the gospel. Go, therefore. We give the gospel through personal evangelism. Personal evangelism. We've challenged you before. We challenge you again. I challenge you today. Who is your one? Who is someone in your life that you can purposely be sharing the gospel with? Who is that person that you can tell about Jesus and start praying for them? Pray for them on a regular basis and then purposely make opportunities. Take them out to coffee, take them to lunch, sit down in the lunch break at work, whatever the case may be, and share the gospel with them. What is the gospel, you ask? We've We've had, we've, we've had them down for a time now because of Christmas and then the upcoming missions conference, but we used to have the four flags up here that were the four pillars that help you to remember the gospel. First of all is God. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says that worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. God created everything. And as the creator of everything, he has authority over them. Just like the, the authority that you have over your kids, right? I think it was uh, one pastor said this. This is not original to me. But uh, his kids were trying to pit him, him against his wife. And he says, he said, uh, look, I chose her before I ever chose you. And he says, and I can make more of you. So we have authority over our children. We made them. We feed them. We guard them and protect them and that type of thing. And I hope certainly that's not an exemplar way to love your children, right? But but to say that, to say you have authority over your children, a God-given authority. Well, God created everything, so he has authority over what? Everything and everyone. And this verse in Revelation 4.11 tells us that he is worthy to receive glory and honor because he created you. But the second pillar that we have is humanity. Humanity. What's the problem with humanity? Well, Romans 1.21 tells us that humanity doesn't honor God. It says in Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile, futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Adam and Eve sinned. We've all sinned. We dishonor God. How do we dishonor him? Well, we were made in his image. We are supposed to represent him to others. The fact of the matter is we misrepresent him. To others, you don't like to be misrepresented. You don't like for others to tell uh, false things about you. God is the same. And so because of our sin, we have wrath. Romans 118 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, the truth about God. We are to represent God. 
as we go about our lives. And when we sin, we misrepresent him. And sin brings wrath. And we're all in that boat because Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God created everyone and deserves to get honor, but everyone dishonors him by sinning. That's our problem, and that's the bad news. The good news is Christ. He's the third pillar as you think about how to share the gospel. Christ came along. In Romans 5, verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. I love that passage just before and after that verse. If you read, humanity is called weak, ungodly sinners who are enemies of God. That's what we were, and that's what we are. But in our state of being ungodly enemies, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. He took his sins upon himself and took God's wrath against our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, Paul delivers the gospel that he received. And he says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So Christ coming to die for our sins is the good news. Well, how can I then receive that good news? That's the fourth pillar. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Acts 16.31, Paul and Silas are in jail. They've been beaten and put in jail for sharing the gospel. And they're sitting there and, and they're praising the Lord and singing. And God sends an earthquake and the jail doors open. And instead of running out, they stay in there. And the, the jailer comes along and he sees that the doors are open. And he's going to kill himself because he's responsible for these prisoners. And they cry out and they say, no, don't kill yourself. And then he, he brings out Paul and Silas and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. He is the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the one who came and he is now Lord over all. All authority is given unto him. So he has the right to tell us and direct our lives. So we repent of our sin and our ways and we accept that Christ is the king. We take our crown off and we follow King Jesus with our lives. The one who died for our sins. You say, how can I do that? Well, it says in Romans 10:9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Acts 2, verses 37 and 38 says this, was Peter was preaching about Christ on the day of Pentecost. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see, those who are truly saved by the gospel, or excuse me, those who truly believe the gospel will be characterized by repentance over sin, recognizing their spiritual bankruptcy and in childlike humility will depend wholly upon Jesus Christ for their salvation. You see, my sin deserves God's wrath. It deserves death. The wages of sin is death. 
But if I trust Christ as my Savior, I'm joined to Him. We call it in, uh, we call it in doctrine the mystical union. We are joined with Christ. And when we're joined with Christ, His death pays for my sins. But then I also need a righteousness that's not my own. I need God's righteousness to dwell in God's presence. And when I'm joined to Christ, I get His righteousness. His death pays for my sin. His righteousness makes me holy. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I urge you today, repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. So we give the gospel. You are responsible to give the gospel. Who are you witnessing to? You say, I'm afraid to share the gospel. Well, invite them to church. Invite them to church because we give the gospel through the preaching of the word. What did I just give you? The gospel. Pastor Tad and I try very purposely in every message to, at some point, give the gospel in every message. If we ever don't do that, feel free to let us know. Now, sometimes it's more explicative like it was just now. Sometimes it's a summary, but we try very hard to always give the gospel through the preaching of God's word in the service. So invite people to church. Bring them here so they will hear the gospel. And then you as believers, we want to have a culture of evangelism here because God asks us to share the gospel. He doesn't ask us to save anybody. He's the one who saves. We can be obedient in sharing the gospel with others and calling them to repent and be saved. If their repentance and salvation, is that's up to God and them, right? And so we share the gospel. So now, members of Faith Baptist Church, when you see folks here that somebody's brought, you can talk to them about the gospel. See, we're, we're a team, Team Faith Baptist here Representing Jesus, the King. We give the gospel during church outreaches. You can also come to the open gym. You say, I can't play basketball. Well, you can sit there and share the gospel with guys who come, get to know them, invite them to church, that type of thing. We have VBS. We have our Wednesday night services. We want to have this, again, culture of evangelism where we are Comfortable sharing the gospel with others and helping others as they're trying to share the gospel with others. And then next, we also, as a church, give the gospel through our missions program. We all can't go into all parts of the world, but we can support people financially who do. That's why our, that's why our missions conference is so important. You see the flags on the side here. And you'll see the names of our missionaries that we support in those countries. You give to that, you are a part of those ministries that are going out around the world. And our missions conference is a time to emphasize that. That's why we want to be a part of that. So we give to our missions programming. So in your giving, I would, I would encourage you to say a certain part of my giving, I'm going to give my regular offering to the church. Uh, my tithe, and then I'm going to give a little bit more for missions to get the gospel out to the world. So you can designate that either on your envelope if you're giving the old-fashioned way, or if you're giving online, there's options there as well to, to give some to missions. 
Those are ways that we give the gospel. Now, it says the next part of of our passage says baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I call this guarding the gospel, guarding the gospel. We're to baptize them in the name of or the reputation of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Just because somebody says they represent King Jesus doesn't mean they really do. Just because somebody says they believe the gospel doesn't mean that they do. It's important that they understand who Jesus is and that they understand the gospel. If their understanding of the gospel is messed up, then they're trusting in the wrong things. So we guard the gospel as a church. We guard the gospel by affirming members or affirming as members only those people who show that they believe the gospel in word and deed. Okay, we have people come and they want to be members, we interview them and we talk to them about Jesus Christ and we talk to them about the gospel. We want to make sure that we don't just baptize anybody just because they want to be baptized. We're guarding the gospel. We're guarding the reputation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit through church membership in baptism. And then the back end of that is that we guard the gospel through meaningful membership. We warn one another. We encourage and exhort one another to follow Jesus Christ. And if somebody is living a a consistent lifestyle that denies the gospel that they're really changed, then we will take away our affirmation of their faith. We will uh, excommunicate them is, is one word that we used or discipline them out of the church. In the Old Testament, when Israel was the uh, <clears throat> was the government, they would actually stone people and kill them for adultery and different sins that they committed. The church doesn't have the sword of government. That's Romans 13. But Paul, when he's talking about a sexual immoral man who is remaining in the church, he says, purge the evil from among you. That's quoted in about five places in the Old Testament, all of which speak of the death penalty. So the death penalty for a church is to say, hey, look, you're no longer a member of Faith Baptist Church. We cannot affirm that you are truly a Christian because you are not walking and following the Lord Jesus Christ the way you should. Right now, we don't expect perfection. Please don't understand. If you're visiting here and you're thinking about joining, we don't expect perfection. We expect repentance. Right. Because none of us are perfect. So we live this life of repentant following of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if someone is unrepentant as they continue in sin, then we as a church body need to say no more. You're no longer a member of our church. We guard the gospel. We see that again. First Corinthians five verses 11 through 13. This is the unrepentant sinner. He says, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. 
Purge the evil person from among you. That's that quoting of the Old Testament verse of the death penalty. And then Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20 deals with that. First Corinthians five is more of a public sin. Everybody knows about it. It's out there. It's out there in the world and it needs to be dealt with almost immediately. But Matthew 18 speaks about a personal sin. Like if when your brother sins against you, it says if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, remember that life of repentance? If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. We can't just have one person going around saying, hey, pastor, that guy sinned. We need to bring him before the church and kick him out. Right? We need to have a process. So that process is two people go and they confirm, two or three go and they confirm this situation. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Involve everyone. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, he's not a brother anymore. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or three, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them. By my heavenly Father, for where two or three are gathered in my name, <clears throat> there am I among them. The context being judgment, witnesses to this uh, sinful brother being kicked out of the church. But then, just so you don't think that the pastors is, are immune, if you look at Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10, the church... The members of the church are responsible for the teaching of the church. That's why we don't change our doctrinal statement unless the people of the church agree that we should change our doctrinal statement. You, you as, a, as a congregational rule, you determine who is a member of our church and who is not a member of our church. And then you de- determine what we will believe and teach as a church. And so... If I get up here and I start spouting off something that is not the gospel, you have a responsibility to kick me out. Or more so, Pastor Tad. No. Paul is writing to the church in Galatians 1, verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but... There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You have a responsibility as church members to guard the teaching from this pulpit. Not just anybody can represent King Jesus. The church is to guard the gospel by affirming members who show by their what they believe and how they act upon their belief by their word and deed. They understand that they believe the gospel. Thirdly, we are to grow Christians. We are to grow Christians, teaching them. To observe all that I have commanded you. 
we will grow Christians into the image of Christ by taking personal responsibility for the discipleship of our fellow church members under the leadership of our pastors. If you will look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. This is how we grow Christians as this final uh, part of making disciples in the Great Commission. Ephesians 4 verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What is the work of the ministry? For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, God expects every Christian to be Christ-like. And it is our responsibility. We covenant with one another in membership, following Jesus together. We covenant with one another to help one another grow up into the image of Jesus Christ. And we help one another when we've fallen and we encourage one another as we go and we rebuke one another when we're going wrong and we live these repentant lives that hopefully are continually growing into the image of Christ. We're maturing as Christians. And so pastors lead the people and teach the people how to do this and they grow up. And they help one another grow up into the image of Christ. Why? Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. So we have the body imagery that we are to grow in the body of Christ and that we are to mature with one another and grow into the image of Christ. So now you say, well, uh, you've you've heard uh, Pastor Tad and I say this before. Your, your, Your justification is... Uh, by faith alone in Christ alone, right? Your sanctification, we like to say, is a group project led by pastors. A group project led by pastors. In other words, we're responsible for one another to grow one another into the image of Christ. And we do that as we are led by our pastors. How are we leading you in discipleship? Well, First of all, is gathering here in church, right? That's step one of discipleship. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. We, are, uh, we have body imagery. We have temple in imagery to describe the gathering of the church. Uh, may God bless you as you're watching online, but that's not as good as being here, right? If we... When... when When the apostles talk about the imagery of a temple, we are individually indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But when we gather together, we are built up as spiritual stones into a dwelling place for God. So so whatever's happening with me, it's kind of like the Spirit dwells within me. and, And I'm like this little brick that when we gather together on Sunday, the 
we put brick upon brick, and it's like God then dwells amongst us all. It's like it's like His presence is magnified. And when you're not here, we've got a brick missing from the wall, or we've got a body part that's missing, and we limp around without all ten toes, or we have trouble picking up things and doing things because our hand is missing. So it's a church service. It's where Pastor Tad and I preach expositorily from the scriptures. We're trying to teach verse by verse what is the point of the passage. But then we also have Sunday school. Sunday school. We are going through a series called Gospel Foundations. We're going through the story of the Bible in a whole year. You say, I don't know my Bible very well. Well, we're going one year later, you can know it really well. If you just come to Sunday school. We're just now starting the Kings. David has entered upon the scene. This week he slew Goliath. Can you give us an extra hour on Sunday? Can you get here one hour earlier? That's what we're leading you to do. You want to know your Bible better? Get here earlier. Pastor Tad and I were talking about how we got up this morning. He was driving by them. I saw them as I was getting in my car, gathering over here at the Boys and Girls Club. I can see the fields from my house. 8.30 in the morning, football teams are gathering. Okay? You can get here. We're not even asking you to be here at 8.30. We're saying, hey, wait till 9.30 and be in Sunday school. Wednesday nights, we're going through, the adults are going through the fundamentals of the faith series. The teens are meeting on Wednesday nights. Just real soon here, we're going to be announcing the programs for all ages within a couple weeks, hopefully. We'll be having something for everyone again, getting back to a little bit where we were before the pandemic. But that's another opportunity to meet and grow in the grace and knowledge and help others grow. It's not all about you when you come to church. Right? Then once a month we have a men's prayer meeting. We have a men's prayer meeting. Love to see you there. It's where we pray for one another, pray for our church. Make it a point to be there. That's where we're that's what we're leading you to do. Ladies fellowship brunch once every other month. Ladies, you can be a part of that. Make it a point to be there. Now we have dinners for six once a month. We have our missions conference coming up. There are other things that you can do on your own. Meet a brother or sister for lunch or for dinner or for coffee and encourage them and pray for them. Call them. Text them. Encourage one another to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be discipled, and we are to be discipling others. It's not just the pastor's responsibility. It's life touching life. That was a a college had that theme, life touching life. Whose life are you touching? Matt Williams was uh, one of my teachers in seminary. He would always say this, walk slowly through through the crowd. Walk slowly through the crowd. Now, when the service is over, that doesn't mean... Like walk like this, right? Don't be in a hurry to get out of here. Don't be in a hurry to get out of here. When when you ask somebody, "Hey, how you doing?" Don't 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 be in motion. Hey, how you doing? Right? Stop. Talk to one another. Be open with one another. Don't just give a well. I'm I'm, I'm doing good. And and you know deep down in your heart that's a lie. Talk to your brothers and sisters. 
We're to care for one another. How can we care if we don't know one another? Walk slowly through the crowd. You say, Pastor, where's all this time going to come from? Priorities. Jesus gave us priorities. His great commission is a priority for us. I would say it's our highest priority. How, how can we evaluate our priorities? Pastor Tad gave a great message from Malachi on tithes, tithes of your, of your, your goods, of, of how God has blessed you financially and, and the giving of the church and that type of thing. And if you didn't hear that, I encourage you to go to our website and listen to it, uh, to last week's message. It was excellent. But I want you to think about how much of your time are you tithing? Now, let's just start with a 40-hour work week because you're giving your employer 40 hours and they're giving you finances back that you give out of that to the church. Well, let's talk about the, the time that you give. Some of you give 40, some more. But let's take 10% of that, four hours a week. Four hours a week. Are you spending four hours a week being discipled or discipling others? Fulfilling the Great Commission. About two and a half hours on a Sunday morning, if you come to Sunday school and church, two and a half hours. Give another hour for Wednesday night, well that's three and a half, and we haven't even reached a tithe. Averaging out another half hour a week, you have plenty of time to attend a dinner for six once a month, men's prayer meeting once a month, ladies Bible study, excuse me, fellowship brunch every other month. And I think you even have time to come to a work day and help us clean up things around here. Make sure our facilities are in good shape. Beloved, we have time for the things that are important for us. And we can scoff and we can mock at the people who are out there at 8.30 in the morning with their kids playing football on a Sunday. But what about you? Where's your time going? Are you obeying this great commission? Pastor Tad and I... Our church has all these ways that we want to help you fulfill the Great Commission. We are leading you in that. And we will grow as Christians into the image of Christ by taking personal responsibility for the discipleship of our fellow church membership members under the leadership of their pastors. Your sanctification is a group project led by pastors. Who are you helping grow into the image of Christ? And Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I'm not here to beat you up this morning. If you're feeling conviction, I'm not, I've not checked your, your hours and your attendance and all that other stuff. That's the Spirit bearing down upon you today. But Pastor Tad and I, we care about you. And we want to see you grow into the image of Christ. And we're trying to help you grow. And we're trying to help you learn how to help others grow. You say, Pastor, I'm not perfect. I don't know that much about the Bible. Hey, I'm not perfect either. But I know more today about the Bible than I did 20-some years ago when I got saved. And you know who helped me do it? Other Christians. So who are you helping? Pastor Tad and I have to give an account for you. That's a personal reason why we're concerned about church membership. We want to know who we're going to have to answer for, right? If you're not going to submit to our leadership, then go somewhere else and find a church where you can, okay? It's that important. 
You need to be a member of a church and have other people responsible for your growth in Christ. We're going to have to give an account for you. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is how your pastors are leading you. Are you following? Are you following? Here at Faith Baptist Church, we strive to follow Jesus together. King Jesus gave us a directive, a commission to fulfill, a priority for your life. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always. Oh, that's a comfort, even to the end of the age. King Jesus told us to make disciples. We do this by giving the gospel, guarding the gospel through church membership and growing Christians through teaching and discipleship. How about you this morning? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone to save you from your sin? If you haven't, I beg you to do that today. Call out to God and ask Him to forgive you of your sins, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ did on your behalf. If you have questions about that, let us know. If you say, I did that, and I want to be baptized to publicly show that, then let us know. We'd love to help you with that. But Christians, this message focused towards you this morning. What priorities are you placing upon your sanctification? What about the command for your, excuse me, what about the command for you to help others grow in their sanctification? Are you following your pastors to participate in the work of the ministry? good place to start is to consider that tithe of your time as a guideline. Are you spending four to six hours a week being discipled and discipling others? Here at Faith Baptist Church, we strive to follow Jesus together. King Jesus gave us a directive to fulfill. Let us make that commission, that command, our highest priority. And Father, then there's others that need to prioritize their time and to make time in their lives for what's really important. Oh, Father, how out of whack our lives can become when our priorities are out of step with your priorities. Father, I pray, please, work in hearts and lives. Draw a greater commitment to your church and to the Great Commission and to King Jesus in our hearts today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.